Hi, this is Jason Wynn, the pastor of Ignite at River of Life Christian Church. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. It is my hope that this message that you're about to listen to will be a great blessing to your life. Enjoy, and God bless. Hey, Ignite. Uh, it's me again, David Kim uh, from Westgate Church. And once again, it's good to see all of you, uh, not in person, but through virtually. Uh, and um, just want to say uh, welcome to this uh, Sunday service. And before we begin, let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for um, just this time where we can hear from you again. Um, so much of the world is unstable, but your word is stable. Uh, Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so we anchor ourselves in you. Uh, would you guide us in your ways, your heart? We ask that you would continue to strengthen this ministry, this church, and um, that for your glory. Um, I just really deeply pray for this congregation, God. You love them dearly and continue to do amazing things through them. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, today we're going to be talking about um, this uh, title called Being a Disciple During and Post-Pandemic. And uh, I chose this topic, being a disciple during, uh, during and post-pandemic, because last week I got to see your survey. I just wanted to see, uh, I got to see your just sermon. I just wanted to see what you guys were talking about, uh, see, uh, just kind of get a pulse on your ministry. And towards the end of Pastor Jason's sermon, you guys did this survey, and one of the top, I think, was like discipleship and mentorship. And so I thought... I'm a discipleship pastor at Westgate Church, so I thought, let me just lean into that a little bit. Let me talk about discipleship, and hopefully, just maybe, if just one of the points that I say, if it's helpful for this uh, ministry, uh, then it'll be just, then they'll be awesome. And so I just wanted to uh, just share some thoughts with you. Um, and so before beginning, I do have some cool news. I, uh, I, I, it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I published a book called A Kid's Book About Change. And I didn't bring it with me, but you see it on the screen. Don't look it up. Uh, but I, I bring this book because uh, last uh, time I was here, we talked about emotions and how do we deal with emotions as we grow together, mature together. And basically, this is a kid's book for parents to read to their children and talk about and process all the different feelings and emotions that they get from all the changes in their lives. And it's not an overstatement to say 2020 has been a year of change. And so um, if you know anybody, if you're a parent or if you are an aunt or uncle and you know somebody, this will be a perfect gift. But let's move on. And I want to talk about, again, discipleship during and post pandemic. This is the first thing I want to say. You are responsible for your own spiritual life. Uh, let me say that again. You are responsible for your own spiritual life. Certainly the church is here to come alongside, to equip, pray, strengthen, and challenge you in every way. But you cannot say at the end of the day when you see Jesus face to face, well, the church didn't do enough for me. Well, the, the leaders didn't do enough for me. Well, the pastor didn't do ABC for me. So I'm not the full disciple that you want it to be. And, but Jesus would say, and the Bible is very clear that, that we, are, I am responsible for my own journey and so is everyone else. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, this is a famous verse, but it is an important anchoring verse to just start our conversation. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of time. Right? We know this as the Great Commission. We know this as Jesus' final words to his own disciples saying, go and make disciples. We all know that if there's one role, one mission, one purpose of the global church, every church that you ask, it would be disciple making. That's what Jesus said. Your role is to go make disciples of Jesus. And so discipleship is not a department. Discipleship is not one of 15 million things that we got to do. Discipleship is the center of all that we do. Discipleship is the core mission and the identity of the church. Uh, It's the Great Commission. And so Jesus, his three years of ministry uh, was entirely focused on making disciples. If we are called to become more like Jesus, what did he do? As he began his ministry, he gathered the twelve. And he spent all of his time for the next three years equipping them, strengthening them, uh, teaching them, guiding them in all of the ways. Discipleship was at the core of all that Jesus had done. And so it's really important. And so before moving forward, I want to just give a quick definition. What is discipleship? Discipleship is becoming an apprentice to Jesus. Discipleship, once again, is becoming an apprentice to Jesus. Uh, John, uh, it's uh, being formed into the image of the risen Christ. And I love what John Mark Comer says. The end goal of apprenticeship is to do what he did, right? Discipleship, disciple is a student. An apprentice is someone who comes and says, I want to be a, I want to be a student. I want to be a learner and I'm learning and I'm studying uh, uh, your ways, my master, my teacher's ways, so that ultimately I can do what you are doing. That's what apprenticeship is. That's what a disciple is. The goal of disciple is to become like their teacher. You've seen this movie, uh, this documentary, if you haven't, um, uh, you can look it up on Netflix. Um, I'm sure you've been on it for a long time. I have, so no condemnation here. Uh, Jiro, it's a a famous uh, documentary uh, uh, about this incredible uh, chef, incredible owner, and and how he is not only creating and, and serving one of the best uh, sushis around the world. And I mean, even Obama, when he was traveling to Japan, I mean, I think he, his, his uh, plane flew right next to it and for, so that he can have that. I mean, it's just, and the way he trains his disciples, these folks who come under him to learn. I mean, first 10 years, you don't even touch the fish. Right? You're, you're like cleaning the bathroom and you're, you're, uh, you're just opening the, the door of the restaurant. You're wiping the uh, plates. I mean, you're, maybe I think you're washing uh, rice for the first 10 years. I mean, you can't even touch the fish. But what, what, it, what it does is that as you're near Jiro, as you're watching him, how he is incredibly focused and, and, and cautious about the way he handles fish. I mean, from the way he purchases it all the way to his creation of it. Um, his disciples are around him and learning his way so that 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now that they can open up their own uh, place where they can serve the greatest sushi 
in the world. Luke 6.40 says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. This is the invitation all throughout the scriptures that we are to be trained and to become more like our teacher, our master, Jesus. That is the goal of the spiritual journey here on earth. So in light of this discipleship, I have a couple of things that I want to share with you that would be super practical. I mean, you're like, oh, Pastor David, I know this. I know that discipleship is important. I know the Great Commission. I know Luke 640 says that, that that's the journey. But what does that look like? Give us a couple things that could really be practical for us in our journey as a community and as individuals on, in growing in discipleship. Uh, the first thing I'll say is this. Be careful who you let train you. Let me say that again. Be careful who you let train you because who you're around, you will become more like that person. If you hang out with a certain group of friends, you're going to talk like them. You're going to joke like them. You're going to think like them. And so be careful who you let train you. And so as you're looking for, not only as you follow Jesus and for people who are in that journey, you are looking for mentors. You're looking for coaches who have gone a little bit further ahead and you're asking them, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And, and here are a couple of things that will be really helpful. I am against finding one mentor that's going to do everything for you. I am against one coach who's going to solve all of your problems, right? They all have different expertise. And so it's actually good to spread out your uh, mentorship and, and, and say, man, I want to learn this from that person. I want to learn this from that person. Wow, this person's really good, good at serving. I want to learn. This person's really good at understanding scripture. So I want to gain some wisdom here. This person really understands how marriage works. And so I want to learn this from that person. And so uh, certainly, an individual may have two or three, but he or she cannot have everything. And so spreading out this understanding of mentorship and coach so that it's not a burden on the person as well as on you, I think that's really helpful. And um, it is, um, you do need to ask. <laughs> so uh, I think I, I share this, uh, I think uh, a couple of retreats back, but you have to ask and you will face rejection. And so now it's not only about being cautious about who you let train you. You can't just sit home and just wonder, ah, gee, I wish I had a mentor in my life. Gee, I wish I had somebody who I can imitate. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You got to look around. You got to pray and say, God, would you give me the eyes to see and opportunities for me to ask the right person? And when it comes, you have to ask, and you're going to face rejections. They may be busy. They may say, not this time. Or they may say, we're not a good fit chemistry-wise. And so for various reasons, it may not work. But you have to understand that if you face few rejections and you're just kind of tired, exhausted, or almost feel like there's a lot of shame, um, I just want to encourage you to say, this is so important. And I didn't have um, a mentor for such a long time in my journey. And it was detrimental to my faith. I had a youth pastor, but youth pastor was over 300 students, right? I mean, people who actually knew my life and could speak really into some of the things that I'm wrestling with, 
I didn't have that for the first, I would say, 60% of my Christian journey. And I look back and I say, ah, gee, I wish somebody told me that it is also my responsibility to reach out and to ask. So this is really important. If you are also somebody who is three years older, um, if you're a college student, if you're a young professional, if you're married, then you just go one step further down and say, man, if I'm married, I want to reach out to a single person that say, God, give me the eyes to see and maybe even ask and say, hey, uh, I want to pour into you. I want to grab coffee once a month. Is that something that we can do together? And you may also face rejection. Like, I don't want to spend time with you. There's not much to learn from you. And so you have to understand that it's both ways and it is our invitation and our journey, because this is so crucial that we grow in this culture. You have to take risks. You have to take risks. Rejection is tough, um, but it's the only way forward. I mean, let's be honest. Jesus, he had to say, uh, do you want to come? Do you want to follow me? And, and the disciples are like, who are you? And so Jesus also had to face opportunities of rejection, and he was rejected by many, many left him. I mean, in John chapter 5 or 6, right, so many people, so many disciples said, you say such hard things. We don't want to be with you. We don't want to spend time with you. And so even Jesus faced that. And so it is part of our journey. Again, be careful who you let train you. The second thing I want to say, second thing that's really practical is that our desires, habits, and loves are constantly being shaped. What we watch, um, the things that we're scrolling up and down. I wish I was there. I wish I had that. I wish I was doing that. And you're watching all the, the violence, the, the conversations that's happening on social media and all of that. And, and it is shaping us. It is shaping us. Our desires, our habits, and loves are constantly being shaped. And here's this photo, right, of, of the mall. And, 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 um, and an author and professor, theologian, James uh, A.K. Smith, he says this, this mall, this American mall, I know we haven't been to a mall in a long time, all right? I, I can't wait to get back to a mall. But actually, what, the, what they say about the malls are, it's that it's actually designed in a way where it's actually a, a worship sanctuary. There is music playing in the background, the way things are spaced out, the way everything is positioned and laid out. Do you want, and, and it's, an, it's an invitation, hey, this might be something that might be really good on you, that this might help you with your health, and it's, it's friendly, it's invitational, there are, there are ushers out there, like, inviting you, right? I mean, and there's worship of music, and, and there's storefronts of, of various invitations to say, this will strengthen you in your journey of life. There are messages that are being told and so as we're in the malls we are being told that unless I have that I am not good enough right unless I have that I won't make it to the next level of my my uh, my status or platform and so you could see how wherever we are things are constantly forming us and so here's what I would say we have to invite practices that would reorient our hearts. And so I want to just kind of talk about this one, silence and solitude. Honestly, earlier in my Christian journey, silence and solitude, I thought that was for the desert fathers and the monks. Silence and solitude, I thought that was Catholicism. Silence and solitude, I thought that was for like 
older, like ladies, like drinking tea, like, uh, sorry, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like silence and solitude, like, what is that? I was into the, 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 the kind of the fiery charismatic worship. I was into scripture reading. I was into serving God and, and, and volunteering in different ministries and departments. And by the way, I'm not saying, and I was into reading theology and doctrine, and I'm not saying all those things are bad. Of course, they're important and good. But nobody really taught me about silence and solitude. You see, what silence and solitude does is that it, it almost removes us from all the things that are forming our lives, that are speaking into our lives, and we take a step back and we untangle ourselves and say our identity is in Christ that we belong to Jesus, that I am not what I have, I am not what I do, I am not what I achieve, I am who I am because of Christ and his love for me. And so even Psalm 46.10 says this, be still, right? let go, and know that I am God. Or, or Mark 1.35, where Jesus says, uh, Jesus, uh, as the gospel writers are observing Jesus, and this happens like 30, 40 times, right? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed, where he reflected, where he examined, where he wasn't caught in the busyness of ministry. There was so much demand for him to serve, do miracles, heal, preach, cast out demons. But at the same time, he got away to say to even Jesus, to the Father, my identity is in you and that I am not going to get caught up in the expectations of the world. And so this is so important for our discipleship journey. Once again, be careful who you let disciple you, coach you, mentor you. Number two, it's really important that our desires are being constantly being shaped. And so therefore, please invite solitude and silence as important practices for us to sit before God and only hear from him and be discipled, coached, and mentored in that way and not by the world's expectations. And lastly, learning to receive and give love is one of the core aspects of discipleship. You would say, if you were to ask Jesus, what's the greatest thing? He would say, love God and love one another. That's it, right? What, as, a, as, a, as a follower of God, what, what, what is it all, how does the Bible get summed up as? Love God and love one another, which means that we need to learn how to receive and give love. That's the, that's the core of what it means to be a disciple, to receive God's love for us and to give this love. And if you look at our culture and society today, love is the last thing on everyone's mind. It's very cutthroat. It's dismissive. It's critical. There's a lot of anger, hatred, divisiveness, division. Even churches and Christians are fighting against one another. And even though Jesus said, we will be known by our love and, and that the entire Bible will be summed up by loving God and loving one another, that's not what we see in this world. And so, again, if we want to grow, ignite as disciples of Jesus, we have to learn to receive and give love. And I am done. Here is the quote from Dallas Willer. He says this, the first act of love is always giving, uh, always the giving of attention. So, 
um, I am terrible at this, but I remember my wife would get a haircut, and uh, she would come home, and I don't even notice for days. And, and she is just waiting for that moment to say, hey, honey, oh, wow, that's a, that's a, you got a haircut the other day, huh? It looks really good on you, right? And for me to pay attention and to notice. But stupid David Kim, I do not notice. And I do my own thing. I'm playing video games. I'm eating. And what I realize is that if I want to grow in love, I have to grow in paying attention. Like, what does that even mean, right? Like, to just grow, like, guys, we got to be a church that grows in love. Let me be just really practical. We got to grow in paying attention. Hey, I noticed this about you. Hey, I see this. It's paying attention to God. It's paying attention to ourselves. It's paying attention to other people and celebrating victories, noticing things that where you see a need and saying, hey, I see a need in you and I want to come alongside. It's paying attention to everything that's happening. But if you are preoccupied, then you cannot pay attention, which means you cannot give any love. So silence and solitude give us the, uh, gives us the ability to pay attention so that we can be agents of love in this world. So Ignite, I want to just leave this time to say, would we be marked? And I'm, I'm not just saying this as a cliche. We, would we be truly marked by people who pay attention to others? That by doing so, that we are not living for ourselves, and being occupied by our own needs and our own desires and our own dreams. But that we would notice the pains of the world. That we would notice the needs of the world. And that we would give. We would pay attention and we would respond. That is the foundation and the core of discipleship. What it means to follow Jesus. May that be so. Let me pray for us. Oh Jesus how far we are from that invitation. But you're not disappointed. You're not yelling at us. You know that this is impossible without the power of your Holy Spirit, without without the grace of, of your Spirit in us. And so we ask now that wherever we are, that you would come and you would strengthen us, you would empower us, that you would grow in our formation and our discipleship journey, that you would give us all that we need. I pray for Ignite Church, that I pray that above all things, that this church, this ministry, this congregation will be known by one thing that Jesus asked, that we would be known by our love. May that be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.